Her Grace Ermila Devi Dasi received first initiation by mail in 1973, thus becoming a disciple of His Divine Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. She first saw Srila Prabhupada in the summer of 1974 and had several opportunities along with her family to meet him personally. She received second initiation in Philadelphia in 1975. Kamala Devi Dasi has served as ISKCON, in ISKCON continuously since 1973. She and her husband have been in the Vanapras order since 1996 and have three married children, 14 grandchildren, and two great-grandsons. She has a PhD in education, was a primary and secondary teacher for 27 years, and has 19 years of experience with school management. Mataji's service is in ISKCON has included work such as a book distributor, assistant secretary for the BBT, Pujari, temple cook, actress, writer, and editor. Her primary work has been in the area of education. She is the chair of the Shastrik Advisory Committee, or Council, I'm sorry, to the GBC, and associate editor of Back to Godhead magazine, and formerly a professor of sociology of religion at Bhaktivedanta College. She travels worldwide teaching Krishna consciousness and is the author of Essence Seekers, Dr. Best Learn to Read, an 83-book literacy program, and The Great Mantra for Mystic Meditation. Hare Krishna, welcome to the call, Ermala Devi Dasi. It's so lovely to see you today. Please take over. Thank you so much for your association. Hare Krishna. And we end at around 8 o'clock, Yes. It's all up to you. Okay. How much time do you have? Well, I have, I have a meeting at 8.15, so I hope that, that'll work. Jai Radha Madhava Kunjabihari Jai Radha Madhava Kunjabihari Gopi Janabala Bhagiri Varadari Gopi Janabala Bhagiri Varadari Yasodanandana Brajajanarandana Yasodanandana Brajajanarandana Yamuna Tiravana Chari Yamuna Tiravana Chari Nama Om Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasthaya Vudalai Shimati Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Saraswati Deve Gauravani Pacharani Nivasesas and Nivani Paskatyade Satarani Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So it's May 6, 2021 and this is a class somewhere in the United States over the internet and we're looking at Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 5, Chapter 5, Lord Rishabh Dave's teachings to his sons. 
very famous chapter, text 30. So this is a long prose verse, which I guess we could go through this. Tatra Chatra Pura Gramakara Ketevata Karvata Shibravajag. Oh, <laughs> lost my. Okay. Raja Gosha Sarta Giri You can share the screen, that's fine. It just jumped and took over my whole screen. Actually, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. Raja Gosha Sarta Giri Van Ashramadishu Anupatam Avan Ichara Pasadai Paribuya Mano Makshi Kabir Iva Vanagajas Tarjana Taran A Vamahe Hana Stevana Grava Shakrid Rajaha Prakshepa Putri Vata Durukstai and Tad Aviganayam Eva Sat Samstana Etasmin Deho Palakshane Sad Apadesha Upav Anubhava Swarupena Swa Mahim Avastanen Asam Aropitaham Mama Bhim Anatvad Ani Kandita Mana Pritin Eka Chara Pari Rama Chatra Chatra, here and there, Pura, cities, Grama, villages, Akara, mines, Keta, agricultural places, Vata, gardens. Karvata, villages and valleys. Sibirira, military encampments. Raja, cow pens. Gosha, residential places of cowherd men. Sarta, resting places for pilgrims. Giri, hill. Vana, forest. Ashrama, in the residential places of hermits. Adishu, and so on. Anupatam, as he passed through. Anan, ichara, apasadai by undesirable elements, wicked persons. Paribu Yamanha, being surrounded. Makshi Kabhi, by flies. Eva, like Vanagaja, an elephant coming from the forest. Tarjana, by threats. Tadana, beating. Ava Mehena, passing urine on the body. Stevana, spitting on the body. Gravasakrit, stones and stool. Raja, dust. Prakshepa, throwing. Putrivata, passing air over the body. Duruk, tai, and by bad words. Tat, that. Aviganayam, without caring about. Eva, thus. Asat, samstane, habitat not fit for a gentleman. Etasmin, in this. Deha, upalakshane, in the shape of the material body. Sat, abadeshe, called real. Ubaya, anubhava. Swarupena, by understanding the proper situation of the body and the soul. Swa Mahima, in his personal glory. Avastanena, by being situated. Asamaro Pita Aham Mama Abhimanadvat, from not accepting the misconception of I and mine. Avikandita Manaha, undisturbed in mine. Prithivim, all over the world. Ekacharaha, alone. Padibha Brahma, he wondered. Shri Prabhupada's translation. Rishabdev began to tour through cities, villages, mines, countrysides, valleys, gardens, 
military camps, cow pens, the homes of cowherd men, transient hotels, hills, forests, and hermitages. Wherever he traveled, all bad elements surrounded him just as flies surround the body of an elephant coming from a forest. He was always being threatened, beaten, urinated upon, and spat upon. Sometimes people threw stones, stool, and dust at him, and sometimes people passed foul air before him. Thus people called him many bad names and gave him a great deal of trouble. But he did not care about this, for he understood that the body is simply meant for such an end. He was situated on the spiritual platform and being in his spiritual glory, he did not care for all these material insults. In other words, he completely understood that matter and spirit are separate and he had no bodily conception. Thus, without being angry at anyone, he walked through the whole world alone. Shiva Prabhupada's purport. Narottama Das Thakur says, Deha smriti nahi jara samsara bandara kanantara. When a person fully realizes that the material body and world are temporary, he is not concerned with pain and pleasure of the body. As Lord Krishna advises in Bhagavad Gita 2.14, Matras Parshas Tukantaya Sitosna Sukudukada Agama Payanone Jastam Satikshvasparata. O son of Kunti, the non-permanent appearance of happiness and distress and their disappearance in due course are like the appearance and disappearance of winter and summer seasons. They arise from sense perception, O sign of Bharata, and one must learn to tolerate them without being disturbed. As far as Rishabhadeva is concerned, it has already been explained, idam shariram mama dur vibhavyam. He did not at all possess a material body, and therefore he was tolerant of all the trouble offered to him by the bad elements in society. Consequently, he could tolerate people throwing stool and dust upon him and beating him. His body was transcendental and consequently did not at all suffer pain. He was always situated in spiritual bliss. And stated in Bhagavad Gita 1861, Ishwara Savarbhutanam Rijeshar Junatistati Ramayan Savarbhutani Yantarudrani Mayaya. The Supreme Lord is situated in everyone's heart, our Arjuna, and is directing the wanderings of all living entities who are seated as on a machine made of material energy. Since the Lord is situated in everyone's heart, he is in the heart of, do- of hogs and dogs also. If hogs and dogs and their material bodies live in filthy places, one should not think that the Supreme Personality of Godhead in his Paramatma feature also lives in a filthy place. Although Lord Rishabhdev was maltreated by the bad elements of the world, he was not at all affected. Therefore it is stated here, Swa Mahima Avastanena. He was situated in his own glory. He was never saddened due to being insulted in the many ways described above. So we're not going to reread the Sanskrit, but we'll just reread the translation. Rishabhadev began to tour through cities, villages, mines, countrysides, valleys, gardens, military camps, cow pens, the homes of cowherd men, transient hotels, hills, forests, and hermitages. Wherever he traveled, all bad elements surrounded him, just as flies surround the body of an elephant coming from a forest. He was always being threatened, beaten, urinated upon, and spat upon. Sometimes people threw stones, stool, and dusted him, and sometimes people passed foul air before him. Thus people called him many bad names and gave him a great deal of trouble, but he did not care about this, for he understood that the body is simply meant for such an end. 
He was situated on the spiritual platform and being in his spiritual glory, he did not care for all these material insults. In other words, he completely understood that matter and spirit are separate and he had no bodily conception. Thus, without being angry at anyone, he passed through the whole world alone, being in his own spiritual glory. So we might think, justifiably so, that, well, Lord Rishabhdeva can do this because he's God. <laughs> he doesn't have a material body. His material body doesn't even feel any pain. His spirit, his body, apparent body, doesn't feel any pain. And so that's easy for him. Uh, for me, that's not possible. I'm feeling all the pains and pleasures of this world. And that's just what it is, you know. It's God and that's me and I'm going to be offended. I mean, this is pretty offensive. Shoo! You know, we all have our stories. Maybe some of you are fortunate and you don't have any, but most of us, anyway, have our stories of being offended, being mistreated, being cheated, being lied to, betrayed, where people didn't follow our expectations of what people should do. One devotee came to talk to me a couple days ago about a severe difficulty in her life. And she starts telling me all her stories of being mistreated. And I said, you know, I said I have enough of my own stories. I don't actually need to hear all of your stories. So we all have our stories where people mistreat us. But this is extreme. I mean, threatened, beaten, urinated upon, and spat upon. Well, I've been threatened, beaten, and spat upon. Throwing stones, never had anybody throw stones at me. Stool and dust, never had anybody throw stool at me. People purposely passing air before him. Calling many bad names, well, that's happened. Gave him a great deal of trouble. Anyway, we've, we've maybe had quite a few of these things happen to us. And when they happen to us, our tendency is to become angry and defensive. Here it says, without being angry at anyone. But our tendency is to become angry. And not only do we become angry, as we may be angry you know, for years at, at some of this. Right? Somebody does something and we're angry. Maybe for the rest of our life we have some kind of trauma about this sort of stuff. We may post things on social media <laughs> every day. You know, we've seen this, somebody is wronged or they believe that they've been wronged. And uh, then the next, you know, three, four years, they're, I've been wronged, I've been wronged, I've been wronged, I've been wronged. And then we're disturbed. We're not happy. We may physically have pains. We may mentally have pains. It's very interesting that uh, we then, you know, tell all these stories of being wrong to justify all of our suffering. And we might think the solution is that we just pretend that none of this happens. We could go in that direction. You know, in Titiksha, Tam Titiksha Svabharata, we could think, well, I'm supposed to tolerate this, and tolerate it means that I just stuff all of my anger and, and grief and whatever that I feel when I'm being treated in these ways. And then I just, you know, stuff all of it and pretend that it's not happening. And that's toleration. 
But of course, then the result of that stuffing everything in and just, oh, I'm all right, I'm not angry. And actually inside we're furious and unforgiving and grief-stricken and maybe ashamed or so many different feelings, afraid. Uh, The result of that is that one day all those feelings explode. I saw that in a marriage where the husband thought he had a happy marriage and the wife was just repressing and stuffing all of her feelings and after 10 years she exploded like a volcano. And he's like, where did that come from? Right? And holding all these angry feelings inside uh, actually causes physical illness, causes physical pain, and uh, prevents us, of course, from thinking about Krishna just as much as expressing all this feeling. So whether we're yelling at people and throwing things and writing our vents on social media and complaining to all of our friends and telling our stories of woe, or whether we're pretending that everything's okay and trying to just hold everything down, uh, either way, our ability to make spiritual progress is hampered and our life, even from a material perspective, is not very happy. So what are we going to do? So again, many people look at this situation, at this description of Rishabh Dev, and say, well, he's God, he doesn't have a material body, you know, good on him, he can do this, but for me, I just have to go through all of this uh, difficulty at the insulting of people. Now, it's a fact, Rishabh Dev has a spiritual body. He appears to appear in this world as one of us, Uh, These avatars, they appear to come within human society. They have human-like pastimes, but they don't have a body made of earth, water, fire, air, and ether. They have a body made of satchidananda, and therefore there is no meaning to material pains and pleasures for their body. They're always in a state of transcendental bliss, and their body literally cannot be affected by somebody throwing a stool at them or spitting on them or beating them. There's, there's just no effect at all. There's descriptions given in the Shastra of, it's like, you know, you throw a flower at an elephant. It, it hardly even feels it. it there's, no, there's no effect. Yes? So, when we, again, we say, well, what does it have to do with me? But the thing is that even for all of us, we actually are also spiritual beings. And we also cannot be affected, as Krishna nicely explains in the Bhagavad Gita. That the soul cannot be, what is it, withered by the wind, moistened by water, cut by any weapons, dried up. We don't die. And not only do we not die, we can't be harmed. We, the soul, cannot be harmed the same as, as the Lord cannot be harmed. We're, we're part of him. We have, uh, in minute quantities, the qualities of him. You know, we, we have the same qualities of God. We are spiritual. We are also Satchitananda. There is no possibility of we, the soul, being pained, or we, the soul, being harmed. Absolutely no possibility of it at all. We can never be harmed. So Srila Prabhupada explains in Krishna book, chapter 20, something I've... I say a lot, and I've been thinking about it a lot the last couple days. How the materialists see the world as very aggressive, but for someone who's Krishna conscious, everything is happily situated. 
Now, we might say, but it, it, things do seem aggressive. People do insult me and betray me and lie to me and disappoint me and, you know, maybe even beat me and spit at me. <laughs> uh, hopefully that doesn't happen, or at least not very often. So, you know, I, I may be, I am. Who is not? Who never has anybody uh, do something that they find disrespectful or insulting? Or, and the world seems very aggressive. Even if it's not happening to me, maybe it's happening to people I care about. Maybe it's happening to my friends. You know, we have a lot of people that they're, they're always venting about injustice done to others. They're always talking about and posting about, you know, these people were hurt, those people were hurt, these people were hurt, these people were treated unjustly, these people were betrayed, these people were lied to. Uh, so, it, you know, we may see that. Maybe if it's not happening in my own life, or if it's not happening in my own life right now, I can get absorbed in how there's so much injustice in the world. There's so much harm. Everything is so very aggressive. But yet Srila Prabhupada says that the devotee sees that everything is happily situated. Only the materialists see things as very aggressive. So how is that? And this, it, it seems very unreal. You know? Everything is happily situated. <laughs> At the same time, don't we want to be happy? Don't we want to be happy? Do we want to be in a state of anger and irritation and fear? And as Prabhupada says, you know, always fearing that my enemy is going to do something to me. Is that the way that we want to live? Is that spiritual life? You know, when we say, uh, when Krishna says to Kaliyama Shaspata, this world is miserable and temporary, what he's saying is that someone in materialistic consciousness is constantly in misery. Whereas in Bhagavad Gita 6.20, he says that when we relish and rejoice in the self, we have actual freedom from all miseries caused by material contact. So how is it that the devotee can see things as happily situated when so many people are being mistreated and hurt unjustly, apparently, innocent people, children, babies who haven't done anything wrong, in, apparently, in this life, or that I have been treated unjustly. So how can one see it? It's just like, what is Krishna talking about? What are the Shastras talking about? Are they talking about that we just become callous? And sometimes Prabhupada uses the word callous. He'll say that one can be callous even at the death of a, of a dear relative. But does by callousness, does he mean hard-heartedness? He couldn't. Because we find that it's the impersonalists who, be, who risk becoming hard-hearted by their austerities. We're studying that. We're about to study this in Nectar Devotion in our Bhakti Shastri classes. How Gyan and Vairagya, devoid of Bhakti, knowledge and detachment, devoid of devotion, can harden your heart. And that's kind of contradictory, too. How am I going to find joy everywhere if I have a hardened heart? If I harden my heart to the aggression in the world, it is a way of being unaffected by it, like that famous Simon and Garfunkel song when I was a kid, I am a rock, I am an island. You know, if we make our heart like a rock, well, that, that way I won't experience the aggression of the world. Well, that's, that's not joyful, that's not 
having boundless transcendental happiness through transcendental senses, that's not seeing the world as always being happily situated. So what does Krishna mean there? How can I not be callous? How can I be soft-hearted? The devotee is supposed to become soft-hearted. The devotee is supposed to become compassionate. Compassionate literally means to suffer along with someone. How can I be compassionate at this if if I'm if I see the aggression in the world, it, it, it all seems so contradictory. So I'm supposed to see the world as, as miserable, I'm supposed to have compassion, to be soft-hearted, and yet always happy, and yet unaffected. What does that mean? We might say, well, just like Rashab Dave's God, you know, he can do it because he's God. I can't do that. It's so confusing. And anyway, you know, maybe when I'm a pure devotee, I can do it. But right now, I've just got to suffer. <laughs> I've got to suffer it. The injustice is done to me, and I've got to suffer if the injustice is done to others. All right, let's look at the solution. So first of all, Prabhupada's quoting Bhagavad Gita 2.14. So Bhagavad Gita is described over and over again by Srila Prabhupada and Aracharyas as being an, an elementary level of spiritual instruction, a beginning level of spiritual instruction. And chapter 2, without doubt, is the beginning level of a beginning level. So if there's an instruction to us in chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita, any instruction to us that's in chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita, we can understand is designed for beginners, beginners. Beginning scripture, a beginning chapter. So this concept of being always happily situated and being unaffected by material miseries without being hard-hearted, because you can't be both happy and hard-hearted. So unaffected without being hard-hearted. Compassionate without suffering. Happiness at the same time compassion. At the same time, awareness. Without awareness. As Narutamas Das Thakur says. Un- unaware. Deya smriti nahi. You don't even remember the body. Yet awareness and compassion. This is given to us in chapter 2 of the Bhagavad Gita. So this isn't just the sadhya, it isn't just the goal. It's also part of sadhana. And it's part of sadhana in all of the yogas, but it's also part of sadhana in bhakti yoga. When Rupa Goswami lists the 64 angas of bhakti. One of them in the first 20, which Rupa Goswami and Jiva and Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur and Shiva Prabhupada all say are the most crucial. He was not being affected by the happiness and distress of this world, not lamenting in loss and jubilation and gain. So that's an anga of practice bhakti, of sadhana bhakti. But then Rupa Goswami also goes on to explain how we're not interested in Gyan and Vairagya that make the heart harder and harder. The Gyan and Vairagya is not part of Bhakti. 
in the beginning it can be an assistant to some extent. And in the 12th chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says so many times in verses 13 to 20, to be detached from happiness and distress, pain and pleasure, honor and dishonor, fame and infamy. Neutral to friends, enemies, and those who are neutral, to be equal poised. So although this state reaches its full fruition at, at Premabhakti, it's also a sadhana, and it's also a sadhana for bhakti yogis. So what is the sadhana for bhakti yogis? How does the bhakti yogi do this, this tamasatikshvasva, this toleration, so that these things are practically forgotten while remaining soft-hearted? So one is that, the first thing is that one notices that these things are all temporary. They come and go. They come and go. On their own. Right now where I am, it's a little chilly, but within two hours it will become warm as the sun comes up. It comes and goes. It's going to be a little cold, then it's going to be too hot, then it's going to be too cold. These things come and go. We don't have to do anything to make them come and go. They naturally come and go. Some days everybody is polite to me and nice to me and and respectful and kind. Thank you very much. And other days people are mean and nasty to me. It comes and goes. Some days my body has a disease and other days my body is healthy. Some days I have things to eat that I like. Like this is Thursday and my daughter just brought me breakfast and I'm sure I'm going to like it because we have an expert Thursday cook. And other days people may give me food that I don't like. And sometimes I may have a lot of money, be able to buy whatever I want. And other times I may have so little money that I'm lucky if I can get food to eat and a place to stay. These things are temporary. They're temporary. They come and go. I am the eternal soul. Well, it's like some great big tree. Have you ever seen some great big tree? Huge tree that's been existing for thousands and thousands of years. And there's storms and there's sunny days and they pass by and the tree remains. So why get caught up in these things? Or the examples given of people riding together in a train, travelers coming together. You know, it's funny, people are so introducing me that I travel the world. Well, I only travel the world over the internet nowadays. But, you know, you travel, you get on a plane, you get on a train, you get on a bus. Your fellow travelers. And it's interesting, I've noticed that if you're riding on a plane with someone, especially if it's a longer trip, but even on some short trips, and then you get off the plane and you... You know, you're outside the airport waiting for your ride and you see other people who are on the same flight and you feel some camaraderie with them. Yo, you were on the same flight. But it doesn't last. You know, the next day you can't even remember who was on the flight, what they look like. These things are temporary. We don't have to hold them either to try to enjoy them and we don't have to hold them to try to get rid of them. 
they're just passing through. Now, the Gyanis focus on that and they end there. I'm an eternal soul and these things are just passing through. But for the Bhakti Yogi, we have a positive focus. And I've given this example many times. You know, let's say we're going somewhere to purchase something. I'm walking down a busy city street to purchase something. And as I'm walking down the street, I'm, I'm passing by so many other shops that don't have things that I want to purchase. And I'm passing by so many people, and probably some animals as well, at least dogs. Some of the people are very ugly. Some of the people are very attractive. Some are very tall. Some are very short. Some are men. Some are women. Some have darker skin. Some have lighter skins. Some are with companions. Some are alone. Some look very happy, and some look very sad. But how much attention do I pay to all these people in animals and shops? If I'm focused on my destination, I don't pay much attention to them at all. I mean, I make sure I don't bump into them. <laughs> I make sure that, you know, that I'm respectful and polite. But I, I, don't, I don't give them much attention. And I, I hardly even remember. Deha smriti nahi. I don't even remember. If someone said, you know, how many women did you pass? I, I don't know. I wasn't counting. I was just going to my destination. So when we're fixed on our identity as a soul, when we're fixed on our service to Krishna, then these other things, they're not important. They're only important if I think that on this body. If I think that on this body, and I think that on this mind, then being insulted and mistreated is very important. Because I can't maintain my false persona if I'm insulted. I, it's, it's threatening to me. If someone hurts my body or they hurt my ego or they hurt my social position or they threaten any of these things. That if I'm identifying with this stuff, then I'm going to feel threatened and angry. But if I'm not identifying with it, if I'm identifying with something else, I'm focused on my mission. I'm focused on my service. I'm focused on my real identity. I'm focused on Krishna, Krishna's pastimes. Krishna's form, Krishna's name. That's my focus. And that's our sadhana in bhakti yoga. And therefore, Rupa Goswami says, even in the beginning of bhakti yoga, one has relief from all material distress. It's not that, as a practitioner of bhakti yoga, that nobody's going to offend you or hurt you. I mean, look at how Rishabdev was treated. You know, if we say, oh, I can't believe people are mistreating me like this. They mistreat God like this. I can't believe people act like that. How could they act like this? They treat God like this. What to speak of treating me like this, or you, or anybody. But it's not important. And all the stories that we make up about it are not important. And that doesn't mean we should try to talk ourselves out of the feelings that go through the body and mind. If there's a thunderstorm going through, you don't try to talk yourself out of a thunderstorm. That's not really a thunderstorm. There's not really thunder. Yeah, there's anger going to go through the body and mind. There's fear going to go through the body and mind. But that's just as temporary as the insults and the betrayals and the harm. And it doesn't mean anything. 
It's just the bodily machine having its self-preservation reaction to what's going on around it. The storm is temporary and the wet pavement is temporary. The insults, the betrayals, they're temporary and my body's reaction to them is temporary. I don't identify with it. I don't think it's important. Just like if it's raining and my clothes get wet. Okay. They'll dry. <laughs> I remember once being in a terrible storm in London, we were on our way to a program. It was a really bad storm. And even though I had some protection from the rain, my shoes became completely soaked through. And the bottom part of my sari, you know, the bottom foot or so, it was just dripping <laughs> like you dunked it in a river. You know, but it dried. So in the same way, my body and mind may react to the difficulties in this world. There will be sensations of irritation and pain and fear that go through my body and mind. But if I just leave them alone, they will pass. The mean people will go in and out of my life and the bodily and mental reactions of, of, in this machine, Yantra Rudrani Maya, Prabhupada quotes, they will pass and let me focus on my real business. And this is something that has to be practiced. That's what sadhana bhakti means. Sadhana bhakti means that we have, it's called a bhyas yoga also. We have to keep repeating it. And sometimes, because those of us who are sadhakas, um, means we're sometimes going to fail. Like the child learning how to walk is going to fall down. Sometimes we're going to fail and we're going to get caught up in this whirlpool of unfortunate situations in the world and be so upset about what happened to someone else or so upset about what happened to me. And then we remember again. I'm not this body. I'm nothing to do with this world. I'm just traveling through. And all these things happening to my body and mind and all the ways that my body and mind want to go, (laughs) it's temporary. It just passes through. Just kind of let it pass through and focus on Krishna and focus on service. And that way, one can always be happy. And one can also be full of compassion for people who do let themselves get caught up in this. We know from our own experiences, Krishna says in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, that when we get caught up in all the things of this world, we're miserable and therefore we can have compassion. It's like when you've recovered from a disease and you're now healthy, you can have compassion for the people who are now going through the disease, although you yourself are happy and healthy. So it's not that we don't care about people who are suffering. But we care from a platform of our own happiness and our own peace. In fact, that's the only way I can really help anybody else is from my own platform of peace and happiness. So it takes practice. At first it's difficult. At first our mind is screaming, you have to feel anger and get into it and really justify your anger. Or your mind is screaming, don't, don't feel anger, don't feel like pretend you're angry. It's not good for a devotee to feel anger. So we may have those reactions at first. And at first it may be difficult to step back and go, oh, look at that. Somebody just said something insulting. 
and my body and mind reacted with anger. How interesting that is. Okay, how can I please Krishna now? (laughs) What's my service to do for Krishna? And gradually as we practice that more and more and more and more and more, we will become less and less and less and less and less aware even of anyone insulting us or any reaction in the body. Deha Sviti Nahi Jara. Those who are on this platform, they just, they don't even remember these things. They don't give them much attention at all. No, they may notice, oh, my finger's cut. Okay, I have to put a bandage on it. But then there's no more bodily pain because they're not giving it attention. It's interesting, even medical doctors, they say 100% of physical pain comes from the mind being afraid and the mind giving it attention. So if we have no fear, and if our attention is on Krishna, we'll notice that we have to fix a, a cut finger. But we won't be affected by this. We'll always be on a higher transcendental platform. So I do have to end now, and I'm sorry I can't take questions. I have an important meeting in a few minutes, and uh, I will have to go. Thank you. Thank you very much for this opportunity. And Prabhupada Kija. Please excuse me that I have to leave. Hare Krishna. Thank you so much, Mataji, for doing that.